Time Norm, the <laughs> wartime podcast podcastiliari, wartime consigliari of a po- of the podcast. Oh God, yeah. What does that make me? Wait a minute. If you're the consigliari, then what am I? I'm just I'm just a you're foot not soldier. a po- wartime consigliari, then. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'm sorry, but you're not a wartime consigliere, Ben. But speaking of accents, I mean, how to say a cucumber in English? How you say it in English? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I just what love do you it call it? Ga- gazpacho? <laughs> that I'm a fan of breaks. Because I thought it was, it's hilarious. I find the idea of people cosplaying and like... Y- y- as uh as other accents and like stuff like that very interesting uh because it becomes such a big part of people's identities at what point do you say that like even being a pathological liar is like a part of someone that you should accept to a degree people are getting confused between identity and personality you know what i mean like this is the thing is that like people don't want to have an identity they're not like she's not trying to like make spanish her identity she's trying to make spanish her personality do you know what i mean yeah yeah, she's like i'm a boring talentless person who basically goes on social media and takes photographs of myself looking interesting until someone gives me like some sort of like fucking sponsorship deal and and to give myself some leverage in that field, I'm going to make myself Spanish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like yeah, yeah. if they wanted someone who was just Spanish, they could just pick any of like the 50 million Spaniards in the world. <laughs> Not just like this person who's yeah, like. Yeah. But, this... uh, yeah, in case anyone doesn't know that cares and is hearing this, uh, we're talking about uh, Hillary, this no, Hilaria. Um, yeah, yeah. Born Hillary in Massachusetts. Boston. To American parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, now is married to Alec Baldwin, is Hilaria Baldwin, in case people don't know. And it's basically come out that she basically, in like her 20s, started affecting this like increasingly Latina personality and like accent and stuff like that. And it just kind of got out of hand and people were, you know, not challenging her and she was getting, you know, kind of living a better and better life and like, you know, just leaned into it harder and like it uh, kind of got exposed in but wait a minute. this week on Twitter. You got to You got to uh, hold on. You got to clarify something for me. Did she was she doing like Latina or doing like Spanish because they're not the same thing, you know? I think she was doing Spanish. Actually. Yeah, because she's Spanish. I don't. I haven't actually looked into it enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, but I think it's Spanish, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I kind of like. I for some reason I thought Mexican, but no, 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 no. She said she's like her because like her parents are American, but I think they live in Spain now, and her family are Spanish, like from Spain. Oh, okay, okay. And so yeah, like yeah. that's the thing. It's like yeah, and she changed her name to okay. Hilaria and everything, but she's actually oh, yeah, yeah. she's actually a masshole. <laughs> Of all the yeah. accents. Dude, I'm from fucking Spain. What are you talking about? Uh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. fuck you. you. You don't like my name, Alaria? Fuck you, pal. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, Take this yeah, and suck on like, it. Yeah. She, she was on like some cooking show, uh, and she was making some sort of sound. She's like, you have a tomato and uh, uh, how do you say in English? A cucumber. Uh, <laughs> it's just like... 
it's like when you've gone so far, like you you have to be aiding yourself to 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 go that deep. You know, it's it's no yeah, longer yeah. the grift. You have fully bought into it. It's now y- your personality. Right, exactly. My personality. It's like if they asked her on a dating website or something, how would you describe your personality? She'd have to answer, Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My personality is Spanish. <laughs> you know what I mean? I describe myself as one part smoked paprika, another part chorizo. <laughs> I'm ethnically claimed chowder. <laughs> I started out chowder, and then I ended yeah, up yeah. chorizo. <laughs> started from the chowder, now we're here. Yeah. because they forgot about it for a bit and now that it's actually happening like today is the last day that we're provisional i mean we're, we left uh in like at the beginning of the year or at the end of last year like technically but now we're like the the grace period or whatever the transition period ends today so this mm. is it i'm speaking to you now it's new year's eve it's like six o'clock in the evening here in the uk where Norm is, it's uh, obviously one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And <laughs> uh, yeah, neither of us is in a few hours. Neither of us will be in the EU. <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> it's honestly the, the thing is, is that when you talk to people just like in real life, it's not it's not really it isn't coming up that much. No one I've really spoken to has mentioned it. But online, if you were if you were watching the UK from across the pond, just online, you would think that everybody here was like, I don't know, that they'd had something put in their food or in their drink or whatever. And then it's like addling their brains because it is just honestly the the conversation online about Brexit has gone so crazy. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know how much I want to talk about this because I really want to. You want to do a dedicated episode. I want to. Yeah, I really want to ed- dedicate an entire episode because I feel like it deserves it. But it's. A, yeah. Yeah. But it's about to happen. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to talk about it. I can't talk. We can't do the whole episode about Brexit right now because I want to come yeah. prepared because everybody's going to hate my guts for my opinion. Because basically, I mean, basically, I am against the EU. So I guess by default, I'm kind of like in some ways pro Brexit, but not really. It's I have one of these like rare disorders that only exists in 2020 where like you you're diseased in your brain because you have a nuanced opinion <laughs> like you're not you're not supposed to have one of those it's a difficult one isn't it because it's the same over here with like yeah. the problem is the categories uh that people use to talk about the stuff and that's uh that is why I wanted to talk about Brexit just a little bit i mean obviously i can't avoid it because it's happening literally in like hours um, but I mean, one of the things that's the biggest problem for me over here is that I guess I'm an, un- I'm in an unusual position where I, like my, my vantage point, the point from which I'm speaking about Brexit is unusual because, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, I'm American, but I'm also, you know, half Greek and I live here on the strength of my Greek and therefore EU citizenship. 
I'm like, uh, you know, in some ways an EU migrant. I mean, I know I'm not an EU migrant the same way that like a Romanian guy coming over here who doesn't realize that he's illegal over here working for less than minimum wage on a building site is an EU migrant. I understand that. I'm not fucking idiot. I'm not trying to say like, I'm an EU migrant, you know, blah, 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 blah. But my dad is an EU migrant. And this is the thing. This is the, the hinge, I think, that makes it complicated is that everything about the conversation is complicated. And when it gets reduced to these categories that make it easier to understand and easier to, to argue about, that's when the, the real problems start, I think. So the whole idea of the, the referendum back in 2016 was instituted by David Cameron and the conservatives. It was well, not even the conservatives as a whole, but one like cabal within the conservatives. It was like the younger part of the party who'd all had like a background in PR and stuff in media and comms. So that was their whole background. And they were younger and they wanted to rehabilitate the image of the, of the Tory party as like not the nasty party. That's what they called them here up until 2010. You know, <laughs> they were always like, cause they had memories of uh, Thatcher and major and everything. They called them the nasty party cause they were nasty and they still are. I mean, it was, it was only like 2013 or something when you had like uh, one of these old guys who'd been like an MP for like 30 years. And it was like a, a guy in his seventies, like a backbencher. And he literally used this expression, like a, an N word in the, in the wood pile. Do you know what I mean? Like he was just using it. He was being interviewed about something and just said this in passing, you know, the the N word, like he just said the N word in the wood pile. Do you know what I mean? Well, he didn't say the N word. He used it. You know what I mean? It was like, just completely like, he that's, said nasty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Narnian. Yeah. The Narnian and the woodpile. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, he, the, I think that norm. So when they when they did that, when the when David Cameron and George Osborne and that part of the party, they were trying to placate this wing of the party, this old Eurosceptic wing of the party. They wanted to shut them up and get them on board and give. And so they decided we're going to foist this referendum on the country and they just were so fucking arrogant i mean their hubris was like greek mythology level hubris where zeus is really just going to punish you and that's what's happened <laughs> you know what i mean it was like that kind of level like homer style fucking hubris and you know they had the referendum and it created these two camps into which you had to fall in one of them and it was like leave or remain and everybody yeah. like dutifully fell into line being one or the other and the kind of culturization of this argument about the eu has done so so much damage to this i mean as it, to be honest with you the it hasn't done damage it's just really lifted the lid on how fucked up this place is you know and how fucked up this country is how divided it is and like mm -hmm. i've talked about this loads of people way smarter than me and with bigger profiles and stuff and like write a lot more about this have said it and it's like one of the things that Brexit, that the Brexit vote did was it, it, it showed that there was a real distrust and anger and just lack of no fucks given. People just went like, fuck this. A lot of people I know, working class people in England, especially, they felt like, well, I know that the Tories, especially these slick Tories like David Cameron, these fucking like greasy blamanges. They're the ones who want me to vote to remain. So fuck them. I'm going to vote to leave, you know, without even really knowing what the EU is or what it does or what our relationship with the EU entails. But 
on the same token, I feel like a lot of the Remain side is basically a reaction to that. They just go like, oh, it's all just racism, xenophobia, and stupidity and ignorance. And it's like, well, what do you think that when you see these people with like EU flag face paint and EU flag jumpers and EU flag hats and shit, you're like, what do you think European Union is? Like, what do you think it does? What do you think it is? And they kind of like do this thing where they conflate Europe as a continent (laughs) with the European Union. And they think that we're like, leaving Europe and you're like "Mm, it doesn't really work like that you know what I mean like we're already like not attached to it by land for one thing (laughs) culturally we're like it's quite different here as well but also not but like the whole thing has just become so stupid and it's the same as in the states it's like I think that it means we blow up the channel though (laughs) yeah we're putting gunboats in the channel they might as well already I mean I'd hate to uh be Stuart Lee here, but now I'm going to repeat everything you said and replace Brexit with Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Every day, hundreds of bros come into my office and they say, how can I be crush like you, bro? How can I be tight and clutch? And I tell them, bro, like, you got to understand that you are, you are fucking, you're, you're you're tight, bro. You're, you're, You're crush, you're clutch. And like every day, hundreds of bros won't accept that they're they're crutch, Clush. Oh God! <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. I don't either. <laughs> so it's it's uh it's it's New Year's Eve. Um, it, it won't be when anyone hears this, but it is right now, and it's like quarter past seven in the UK, which means it's sometime in the afternoon over where you are. And uh, yeah, we're just here to look back on the year that was. Frankly, this year has sucked, hasn't it? I mean, it's been pretty bad. I mean, even like the good served to make it worse because it was like contrast for how bad the rest of it was. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a very dark and bleak year before (laughs) COVID happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, It was personally, I I was having a great time. Uh, But, uh, you know, the Australia was on fire. Yeah. the U.S. had just uh, extrajudicially assassinated an Iranian general and were, seemed like they were poised to go to war. Uh, that was fucking crazy, wasn't it? Because it was like, oh, everybody was sort of like, oh, Donald Trump, like whatever else you can say about him, at least he's not been like starting wars like like Bush and and Obama. But And he said... Hold my big gulp Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's funny because I think with the Suleimani thing, right? Like, I think he just wanted to look tough and probably got some advice. It was probably the last thing he heard from some general in, like, the war room. He probably just heard something and was like, yeah, we'll do that. And then they did that. And then everybody probably jumped down his throat and went, what the fuck is wrong with you? We don't actually want to do this. And he probably went, yeah, yeah, you're right. I never intended to do that. You know, that's from what I understand, pretty much how it went down. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that was also, you know, he was it was when the like impeachment proceedings were happening. And so so he was kind of trying to do something to take attention away from it to a degree. But right. So but it says here that on February 5th that he was acquitted by the Senate. Um. Nice. Of impeachment. Clutch. Clutch. 
<laughs> and then, like, very shortly after that, the WHO named COVID. Uh, they called it COVID-19. And it's fucking crazy because it's like not long after that, they, this, the, the Dow Jones plunged by like four and a half percent, which was like its largest one day point decline of the at the time it's been since <laughs> it's since beat its record but the shit is fucking crazy because like february was weird because at the end of february right i have this mate a very close friend and it was his 30th birthday and we went to the the pub where amy like in the town where amy's from and uh where he's from as well and we did like karaoke and we were all like shit-faced singing karaoke i got up and sang new york new york and uh, and we were really drunk and we were like crowded into this pub like sardines in a can. And the idea of doing that now is just so fucking foreign. Can you imagine? We were all just like fucking coughing and spitting in each other's mouths and like, you know, <laughs> sharing a microphone doing karaoke, you know, and like yeah. and it's weird because at work shortly thereafter. Yeah, maybe even before. I don't remember exactly when this was, but at work. In the place where I work, loads of us got this crazy fucking thing, this bug, where we were all like, we had like fevers and we're coughing our brains out and we're off work sick. And some of us, like loads of us couldn't afford to take time off sick. So we were just at work sick, you know, after like a few, like after like four days of being really sick, you're like, I can't take any more time off because it was before they'd made any sort of arrangements about like... God bless my, uh, the place where I work. They've been really good in this whole thing. And they've been like, when it all came out that like, this was all happening, they kind of made promises about like, if any of us ever got COVID that they would like look after us with, uh, they would like double the statutory sick pay, which is crazy. Cause in the UK we look and go like, Oh, statutory sick pay is fuck all. But in the U S there isn't even statutory sick pay. You don't even get anything, you know, you're not like entitled mm -hmm. to anything, but lucky for us, it was like, you know, not going to be quite so bad. Uh, but this is before that happened. Loads of us were sick. And uh, to think it's like it's possible that some of us, if not all of us, had COVID already. You know, I don't want to do that thing because a lot of people do that. They go like, oh, you know, I think I had it already or whatever. But none of us have gotten sick since then. And we're like, you know, around people all the time, mm -hmm. which is fucking mental. But then March came around right after the this party. And March was the big year, the big month in the year, wasn't it? Where like everything kicked off because it was like. It was like, that's when COVID was like, and it was early in March, wasn't it? Where everybody knew, like, we have to fucking do this shit. We have to go into lockdown. And and they just weren't doing it, especially in the UK and in the US. Yeah. It was crazy because it was like, people were going like, we have to do this shit. Even our bosses at work were like, they were like, oh, well, the government hasn't given us like guidelines or anything on what to do about distancing or masks or whatever. And, and loads of people who I work with, we were all just like, you know what? Let's just take the bull by the horns and just make this happen. And we, we sort of said, like, can we just can we just do this? And like not come to work, you mean? No, 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 no. About like instituting like social distancing measures oh, yeah, 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 and like putting like yeah, yeah. hand sanitizer out and stuff. So some of us who worked in the shop were just like we went to the hardware store and got like isopropanol. And, uh, you know, put it into like, uh, like, like hand washing bottles, you know, like hand soap bottles and mm. just fucking put up signs telling people to stay two meters apart. And we got this like black and yellow 
hazard tape and we put it all over the floors at two meter distances and put arrows and we instituted like a one-way system in the shop to be like please just like walk one way through the shop and like stay two meters away from people and we made signs we got like the person who does the the marketing for the company you know to like uh make up signs that we could just print and like laminate and put up all over the shop we did this shit before the government was saying anything you know it was just like a mm-hmm. bunch of us who worked there just being like we have to do this shit because, like, no one's going to make it happen. Like, the, the government isn't going to make anyone do this, you know? And that was the crazy thing. This was the crazy thing, I think, about this year. One of the craziest things. This I'm not sure if this is true for everybody, but for me, it was, like, just that first thing where you're like, whoa, there's, like, a fucking virus going around that's going to kill, like, hundreds of thousands, <laughs> if not millions of people. And the people in charge, the only ones who can actually do anything about it, like, the people in government, this is, like, the one thing that even if you're, like, skeptical of power, even if you're a critic of capitalism, even if you're a communist or an anarchist or whatever, you still kind of, like, have some sort of base-level belief that, like, these people are going to do something, aren't they? Like, they're going to do, they're going to do, like, the, the most baseline minimum bullshit that they need to do to fucking make sure we don't all fucking die. And they didn't. Yeah. They and did. they're still not, man, I don't know if what it's like over there, but like, we're not even vaccinating people right here. We have the vaccines and we're not effectively like, uh, rolling out the actual distribution of them in the, you know, we're not sending them out. When we send them out, people aren't getting the vaccine. Uh, and, like, even their ability to organize something like this. Now, mind you, I believe that a lot of the actual organization of the rollout is part of the COVID bill that has yet to pass. But, uh, obviously, the mismanagement of this government is a big part of it. And I don't exactly think that the next one will do a phenomenally better job. But, yeah, there is that, like, implicit understanding that folks had that, like, oh, well... If something bad happens, like, at least you'll, like, you know, keep the damn lights on or whatever, you know? Like, you'll do the basic minimum things to, like, protect us in a crisis, right? Like, in an actual non This is the thing. Crisis. That's but the thing, though, isn't no. it? It's, like, it's not just, like, a and the, the insight here isn't, like, political so much as it is just, like, emotional. The emotional yeah. reality of knowing that the only people who actually can do anything about this shit just won't. They just yeah. won't. And that's the thing. It's like, I feel like that's the biggest lesson that we've learned in this crisis is people's eyes have opened up to kind of our inability to meet various challenges. Right, you know? exactly. And uh, like that's, and that was the most evident, I think, in, in March. And like the, the stock market was crashing and like people started dying or getting sick and stuff. And you heard about it in other countries. It wasn't happening so much in like the US or the UK as much. But the fucking crazy thing about it was that for me, like, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, this is going to be a theme throughout this conversation between you and me, I think, is that I started out. I mean, let's roll back a little bit. We've gotten a little ahead of ourselves because I think that one of the the biggest things for me this year is that the huge dramatic shift. There was a pivot point and it was around February and March, right? I mean, I started writing a newsletter about the Bernie campaign early this year and I was there was a point I mean after Bernie won Nevada right the third it was like Iowa like first of all with Iowa when like 
like Buttigieg like rat fucked him and everything. And then but by the time we got to Nevada, like the third primary, it was like, holy shit, he might fucking win. Do you know what I mean? And you and I talked a lot about this. We were like texting each other all the time. And you were saying, you even said to me, I, I don't want to like look it up, but like you sent me an email being like, I mean, if he wins Nevada, like he's just probably going to like sail through this shit. I mean, it didn't happen, of course. And that's another thing to talk about is like the way that our expectations. Took, yeah, yeah. He took a singular L and the entire world aligned against him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like there was a moment there, man, where it felt, didn't it? I mean, it felt like, holy yeah, shit. After man. Nevada, it seemed like this is what a person winning. This is what winning looks like. Right. Like exactly. you have not seen this level of support. Uh and like organization and success, people coming together to do something, honestly, since like, you know, Obama was first elected. Right, exactly. Uh, and people had all that belief. Exactly. But like this was in many, many ways much bigger than that. It came from a, a you know, like a, a place of people who had not been working together and had been more marginalized and stuff. It was an, it was a beautiful sight to see. And even its failures give me hope for the future. Uh, that like so much more is possible than what I don't believe in. You and know? the and fact like that the said, way that they were that doing is a it. big rift that we have is like our various beliefs and lack of beliefs in, in uh, what is possible. Like the Bernie campaign significantly changed my perception of what is possible. It, me too. I mean, that's what I mean is that like, I felt for the first time in my life, like excited about, Electoral politics. That has never yeah. happened to me. I've never felt excited about electoral politics. Yeah. I mean, I was literally <laughs> writing about it weekly and, uh, and I was following it. Like I was on, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't just that it was happening. It was the way it was happening. I mean, you heard all these, uh, you know, personal anecdotes from people who were like volunteering for the first time and doing organizing. They were meeting yeah. with workers in factories and getting them to like register so that they could go and vote in the primaries, which like almost no one had done before. I just the sheer number of people volunteering. I mean, I did a bit of calling from here. I used like the online system they had and like was like phone banking and like all of that. So, I mean, this is something that I would never do before. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that I was no, like, I know. And like, I don't want to, you know, like, like say the this poorly, but like I have been an activist for a long time. I've been an organizer and I've been doing political work for a long time. I have a lot of friends who are very, you know, similarly minded and they were involved in a lot of activism and stuff in college. But once they got out of it, like people's lives kind of took over, you know, like, uh, and the Bernie campaign in 2016 was the first thing that got everyone to come back out to say to, to to make themselves active again in the in the political process in the electoral process uh and it it got everyone to increase their involvement whatever it may have been and a lot of people got involved for the first time and then in 2020 like those everyone just leveled up you know <laughs> like the the people who had gotten their first taste of politics in 2016 yeah. like like now had kind of seen so much happen then that they were much more engaged now people who had gotten you know who were somewhat engaged had gotten more radicalized by 2016 and now they were you know uh, in a in an entirely different mindset and it's just going to continue you know uh 
the things that have happened this year. But there was this like moment wasn't learned there? as well. There was this mm-hmm. moment where it really like felt like this might actually happen. And no, then absolutely. watching it, and absolutely. watching that like every single bit of media, like mainstream media, just like either ignore Bernie's successes or talk it down or talk up things that, that tried to make him look bad. It was like being back in 2003 and like yeah, they run it, up to no, the Iraq it seemed war. Like, it seemed like despite everything they were doing, unlike in 2003, uh, it wasn't working. It, it yeah. wasn't being effective and Bernie was going to win anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the only thing that finally took him down was finally the acceptance that they had to unify to the, with the singular purpose of defeating him. They had to stop all other pretense. They had to stop any sort of distributed support to anyone but the single individual who is tasked with with the ta- with taking him down and without you know all falling in line behind Joe Biden he would not have squeaked by no, of course. his not very massive victory he was in like fourth <laughs> place man when when they yeah. when they all coalesced around him and i mean it was like you know when they he was very obviously then as he is now you know, in his twilight years and fucking he's just he's like a senile old man with a broken foot who's going to hobble his way into the White House. It's very bad. If you want to, like, worry and cry, watch his interview on Stephen Colbert the other day. I like, don't, don't want to know. It is so bad. He is just he's stuttering worse than he ever has before. Like, it's just he's so clearly mentally regressing. Like it is so yeah, yeah, bad, yeah. <laughs> and and we could not be walking into like a more perilous time. <laughs> I know it is so awful, it's and funny, everyone. Oh, and, and, and so so at the same time that all this shit was like crumbling as well, right? Like late February after Super Tuesday and everything, I remember being like, "This is crazy," because like never before have we needed what like Bernie is talking about more than we do right now. And that is literally not only not on the agenda, but it's actually like there people are like people are campaigning by shitting on this idea of like, you yeah. know, Medicare for all and everything. And like, but then the crazy thing was the lockdown. Um, I think that maybe you and I had very different experiences of this. The lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Cause for me it was weird because suddenly you had like conservative politicians referring to key workers as heroes and stuff. And you're like, it's kind of like, it was like, I had a huge disconnect because I just continued yeah, yeah, to do on. the Let, job. Let's not it. get into that yet. <laughs> because there's one thing, if we're going through historically before we get into the lockdown, I want to talk about the pre lockdown because that's, you know, really one of the big things is our, like at least in America, the fact that we did not lock down for so long. Yeah. Uh, and like they, we knew that this was a crisis at the end of January and it was clear that it was a bad situation in February and we didn't lock down in America until late March, you know, <laughs> like St. Patrick's day. Yeah. yeah. St. Patty's day happened in America under n- lack of lockdown. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it had started getting a little cold. So people were, you know, in the indoor spaces, they had erected like the big tents outside and stuff. And I remember the day before the state shut down, there was like people packed into and out of the bars in, in downtown Hartford. There were people here being like telling the government that they had to do it. And like people were 
We're saying we just have to do this. And the government was like hemming and hawing here and didn't want to do it. And it took them until like, yeah, like you said, like the last week or this, the, the middle of the last, the second to last week of March to lock down. And then by April, the, it was, it, it was crazy. I mean, I, I mean, I was just doing the same job that I did before, but the nature of my job changed. And because I was one of the mm-hmm. only places, I mean, where I worked is like a, a place, you know, like a grocery. So people came in and sometimes it was the only place that they went, really. For some people, it was the only place they went for the week. They went and did their weekly shop and that was it. That was their only interaction with other people was coming in and talking to me and my colleagues and stuff. But then other people, when it was really bad and really scary... There were people coming in looking for like an ingredient for something, you know, they wanted to make like, they were looking for like a, oh, do you have cacao nibs? <laughs> you were like, man, you shouldn't be in here. You're not supposed to come out unless it's like an essential thing. Like, I don't give a fuck that you want to like go cook. You want to like bake something, you know? And that was another thing too, is that everybody was talking about panic buying and everybody was shaming people for like panic buying. But to be honest with you, I mean, in our grocery, we limited the number of uh, bags of pasta that people could buy. We limited the number of like um, long life milk and like oat milk and soy milk and shit like that, that people could buy in one go and tins, you know, like cans of tomatoes and stuff. We limited the number they could buy in one go. But even so, it wasn't really that big a deal. It's like it's the fact that we have a system under capitalism that necessitates these big companies having like just in time supply chains. That mm-hmm. means that all they needed, all that all there was was like five, 10, 15% uptick in sales. And that cleared out the shelves. Cause like they don't keep anything, you yeah. know, they don't have a backstop. It's like talk to an economist and say, here's a problem. You have overwhelming demand. Like, so you're incapable of producing supply like no that doesn't seem to make basic economic sense right. like, yeah, exactly you have high school economics yeah. screwed up the system if the thing that is damaging your supply chain is demand right like, uh, yeah, exactly that's not supposed to affect the supply in any way other than positively right like, uh, right exactly exactly um and that's the thing that yeah. people didn't realize like and it's funny because where i work right like the whole thing is about like short supply chains it's like uh, the place I work in is supposed to be like against the corporate model and everything. And they try to get as much stuff locally and sustainably as possible. But even they were hit by certain things. And it showed where where that model works better and where what, where it doesn't work. Like there were certain things like flour were like they just because of the lockdown measures, you couldn't get people working in the mills to make flour. So it didn't matter where you got it from. Like there just wasn't the flour. And especially since everybody also started baking their own bread and shit. You know what I mean? Like everybody's like, I'm going to start baking (laughs) Uh, instead of going to the bakery or to the supermarket and buying bread. I'm just going to start baking my own bread. So like uh, the two things together meant that there were like ages where we didn't like a fucking huge period, long period where we didn't have flour to make bread. But like Mm -hmm. this whole thing, there was also this weird thing here. I I mean, in the States uh, it's, it's just a moot point because there is no national health service. Well, I think you still did it in the States, right? Where there was like the people clapping for the essential workers and stuff like that. Did you get that in the States? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it started here, right? Or well, oh, I, don't I don't know, know where it I started, mean, but they're absolutely doing it here. It was uh, They started revolting. it independently here. It wasn't like uh, yeah. on the back of something in the States. But here, because like there's a big thing here where everybody was like putting signs in their windows, 
like children who were staying home from school were making little children's drawings and paintings and putting them in the windows that said, thank you, NHS and everything, which is nice. You're like, oh, everybody appreciates the NHS. But on the same token, you're kind of like. <laughs> Will like you actually first. do anything to treat those people as like, you know, equitable, equitably as human beings, let alone as like honor them as essential heroes. Right. You know, right. like, or, or will you deny like a push to give everyone health care? You know, this is the thing <laughs> is that like obviously not doing anything about the world's first trillionaire, not paying taxes. Right. 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 You and know, I guarantee like, that, that like, like there's such a fundamental disconnect between actually supporting these people that we now right. suddenly realize are quote unquote, essential key workers, delivery people, you know, like, uh, you know, the people that do the actual jobs that society right. actually requires to keep going. Not any of these CEOs or, or people like this. This is know? it. This is it. And uh, also too, like, I mean, you, I can guarantee you, that like every night at eight o'clock when I would uh, hear people clapping on my street because of the nature of the way that the buildings are here. Like I live just in like a highly densely populated area in a city mm -hmm. in Britain and Glasgow, you know, like there's just tenements everywhere. It's all like apartment buildings. So there's just like people hanging out their windows, clapping and hooting and cheering. I can guarantee you that like fucking loads of those people voted for the conservative government that is like underfunded the NHS for 10 solid years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like not there's, there's no connect there. Like I, I get it. And I don't, I'm not like trying to shit on people clapping for like essential workers. Cause that's great. I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that we started calling people who do these jobs like essential and key workers and stuff. But there's but like, it a, only goes so far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it doesn't mean anything if you don't fucking, vote for people who are going to fund them or like either, you know, or like capitalism cannot produce a situation where these people's jobs are actually valued highly. I mean, the, the, the whole entire, the, the, the modus operandi of capitalism is to extract surplus value from labor power. I mean, that's like, it's not, it's like, uh, you're never going to be able to, uh, you can appreciate them all you want uh, subjectively within the confines of your own skull. It means nothing. But then like, April then, then was fucking mental, wasn't it? Like, what did you do in April? What were you doing? Yeah, well, I mean, April, like, you know, we we're just in lockdown making, you know, having, you know, trying to do fun Zoom calls and making sourdough, bro. Yeah, finally places locked down. <laughs> Boris Johnson gets COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But April, April's a crazy one because, like, that's when, like, the death toll uh, from COVID, like, went over 100,000. And it was, like, literally, like, a tenfold increase from like March or whatever in like 20 mm -hmm. days or whatever. And then the next thing, one of the crazy things that was happening here was that they didn't talk about it much in the UK because everybody still just talks about Brexit with this baby brain bullshit way of looking at things. But the, all of these countries in the EU besides Germany and France, like the richest ones, they're like part of being in the EU is that you get like help for stuff, you know, and that you're like paying into this thing. It's like a union, you know, I mean, it's the European union. Right. And mm -hmm. they were going like, Oh, well our economies are going to be devastated. Are we going to get like help from the richer countries? And the richer countries were like, no, <laughs> they're like, we can maybe, <laughs> they wanted to sell, they wanted to create this thing called like Euro bonds to make sure that there was a way to stash this money and to make sure that like th there was like an even distribution of like the pain 
you know, and, and the Germany and France were like, fuck no, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> we're not paying for you motherfuckers to die. No, fuck you guys. So, um, they, they made like some sort of loan package, but it, again, one of the, the, the conditions of that loan package, and it's like 500 billion euro or whatever. What, one of the conditions of that loan package for places like Italy and Spain that were like really badly hit were that they'd have to introduce more austerity when this is over. It's like another way for them to just like go like, well, you're just going to have to, you know, cut the cut the fat, you know, to, to saying to a skeleton, we're going to trim some of this fat. Um, <laughs> and then obviously April was the point at which I think it was like mid April, right? Where the fucking the it was like that's when like the the economy really started tanking. We started getting a taste of what was going to what was coming. And everything, I think that there was like the the IMF said it it expected like a three percent shrinkage in the world economy, which was like the going to be the worst contraction since the Great Depression. Yeah, it became pretty clear that uh, there were going to be problems. We immediately knew, and obviously, anyone with half a brain knew that this was going to translate to an economic crisis for the poor. It was right. going right. to translate to a crisis of resources. Uh, and debt and should have been pretty straightforward that that needed that was one of the things that needed to be addressed immediately uh yeah and if you needed a sign from god you got uh the fact that the price of a barrel of oil went negative (laughs) like literally went like less than zero it like cost money to have oil and and it's crazy because it's like now that there was a point between then and now when oil was at like one hundred and forty dollars a barrel, and then it also has been my has been like negative twelve dollars a barrel or something like that. It was like literally it cost them money because they had too much of it and they needed to store it somewhere. So fucking hell. And then I guess we get into May, and this is when shit gets really crazy because like, I mean, obviously, not only is the death toll just like fucking spiking. I mean, there's like. Th- uh, we're already at this point we've got like you know like tens of thousands of people across europe and some like in italy at like thirty thousand. fucking you know the uk was already at like thirty-two thousand. italy was at thirty thousand, twenty-nine thousand, or whatever and like and then at the same time may happened the fucking george floyd these pigs stand on they just like kneel on george floyd's neck and kill him while he's saying i can't breathe and uh and then that started an insurrection that only ended like a couple of months ago. It's like <laughs> half of this year, like, you know, has just been like, the but I mean, in the beginning, it was very serious. Like people were out in the streets in, in many major cities in America every single night. And they were clashing with police every single night. Uh, and I don't know how it didn't get much worse than it was. You know, you had Trump, you had all the governors and leaders of the states like uh, walking on eggshells trying to like manage the situation. And then you had Trump being like, you know, very belligerent about it. Uh, And like he, uh, he tear gassed those protesters who were just standing out there protesting so that he could walk and have a Photoshop outside of a church holding a Bible upside down. Like that's like one of going to be in my prediction, one of like the top lasting lasting images of uh of trump's presidency was gassing his own people so he could take this meaningless photo up
what's happening in the States with the uh, insurrectionary movement on the back of the killing of George Floyd. All of these things have changed. Not just me. I'm sure that everyone listening to this has been changed so profoundly by the experience of this year, by the, the, just the reality. It's like it just occurred to me. The thing that I'm trying to say, basically, is that I had residual like illusions about the world, even though I thought of myself as a pretty you know, cynical person or skeptical at very least. Right. It's like you realize suddenly you've got these residual illusions about the world that are stopping you from seeing things clearly. And there's a lot happening in the world that you can't explain with the categories and like the kind of worldview framework that you've got currently that has to change before you can make sense of what you're experiencing. And that's what's happened, not just to me, but to like millions and millions of people, I think. And that's this, this is the point, right? Like the May, June sort of pivot is when things started really changing. I mean, did you, did you feel that? I'm, 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 you must've, right? I mean, I felt a massive disappointment and a massive, like, like we said, like there was some sort of expectation that not just government, but even people would like, uh, at the end of the day, like behave in a certain general sort of particular way, like for like self-preservation, uh, you would think that some sort of more base instincts of self-preservation would start to override uh, systems and uh, power and complacency and all the things wrong with all the things that cause everyone to kind of behave the way that they do. But no, <clears throat> uh, it seems like there's no real events that are going to actually do the the changing of individuals or institutions uh it's still i don't know i don't know how that, that, that's a poor way to phrase it but uh no i think i think i think it makes sense like you like you said there's no there's nothing is gonna nothing that we've got currently in the toolbox is the right tool for the job and yeah. that's that's a really hard thing to come to terms with because it sounds really benign on the surface of it but when you like, look at the implications of that. It's like, wow, we're just like, we're not prepared for any of this. And this is something that we knew was coming intellectually, but we didn't really like metabolize that information until it started happening. Like, this is a yeah. result. This is kind of like, you know, this is climate change. This is hypercapitalism. This is all the things that we know are bad already. It's just that you could kind of understand those things because they're kind of more invisible than this. Well, this they're is more very abstract. in your face. Right. This yeah, is concrete. More abstract. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and very acute. It's happening right now. Right now. You know, like yeah, yeah. there's no distance uh <clears throat> but uh, I think too for me like maybe it's different because I think maybe it 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 for me maybe I had a more concentrated version of it than other people who weren't able to go to work because like you said like it's not just the governments and stuff it's just also people. I mean, watching people come into the shop and, you know, on on the spectrum of the, the people that you spoke to, on the one hand, you had people who were just like thanking you constantly for putting yourself in danger by coming to work. You know, you're you're in. I mean, I would literally it, it didn't get slower. It got busier at the grocery and I'd be standing at the, the cash register yeah. and I would I would interact with like 100 people a day, five days a week, week in, week out for this whole year. So it's hundreds and hundreds, thousands and tens of thousands of people I've interacted with. And, you know, the medical advice is that you're supposed to avoid people. So it's like, yeah. and, and some of them are 
obviously aware of it, saying to you, thank you so no, much. That's the thing. It's like from the beginning, everyone was like, not from the beginning, but fairly early on, they were saying things like, if everyone wore a mask and didn't interact for three weeks, we could uh, effectively eliminate this. Right. And pretty much the entire world, or I mean, America at least, like was like, uh, okay, no, what else you got? You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, we won't do that. You know, <laughs> but, but don't just blame people, else? man, because it wasn't just people. It was also no, no, no. I'm not talking about people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about people. Like, uh, uh, I'm talking about leaders. You know, but uh, people still do the doing. But I don't blame people for no, like exactly. things that they do. Like it's a like it, it was incumbent upon our leaders to show to set examples and to tell people to do or not do certain things you know and they did but they just did it very poorly <laughs> exactly exactly uh, and so you know it's very difficult to blame people for doing what they were told to do you know <laughs> like uh so yeah i don't blame the people <laughs> exactly and it's it's crazy cuz like you're allowed to do things and in this country so um in June here, we're in June now, and you're looking at like all of the entries on this Wikipedia page are like COVID-19 pandemic. The death toll goes to uh, exceeds 400,000 or then there's like passes. The global number is like uh, of cases passes 7 million. And then there's like all these things. And at the same time yeah. that this is happening, the government is going like in, in the UK, at least they did this program called eat out to help out. It had nothing to do with eating pussy, by the way. Um, oh. it was <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2020 is all about eating ass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, nothing to do with pussy. Right, it was all about eating ass. So they said, basically... No, it wasn't even about eating ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what you consider, how you would describe uh, food in the UK. But um, anyway, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave that for another episode. <laughs> Very, uh, let's, let's say beige. <laughs> <laughs> bleached ass um anyway so they, they they the the government here did this thing called eat out to help out where they basically paid um businesses that sold food that did like takeaway and even places where you could sit down and eat the government paid for half your meal they said like go yeah. and it'll be half price go because we need to keep these businesses open so the government is giving these businesses money but the thing is is that obviously if you're going to give any business that sells food uh, you know, uh, uh, money so that half the half the meals that they serve are paid for by the government and people get them half price to like boost actual numbers of like asses on seats. Then the number, I mean, just sheer like fucking uh, real estate. There are more corporate chains here than there are like small businesses. So they're just like lining McDonald's pockets. Basically, there's yeah. like giving hundreds of millions of pounds to McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, like, and like a little bit, they're throwing a bone to these like small pubs and shit, right? And even then, the pubs in this country they pay extortionate amounts of money to, you know, the pubs are owned by the the companies that own like the breweries and shit. Like the building is owned by the the company, so the pub, the landlord, the person who owns the pub or like runs the pub, is like paying all this money, extortionate amounts of money, to be able to sell this company's booze in their pub and they also usually pay rent to them and everything they don't own the building usually so it's like it's these giant giant companies that's how this happens and obviously because people aren't going out to buy stuff they're getting stuff posted over so that's why amazon is making all this money but if you when you when you see these facts and figures that are like just dry facts and figures about like the biggest 
the, the richest people in the world have been like making enormous amounts of money from the COVID pandemic. It's not like uh, it's not some like surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's not a conspiracy. I mean, this is just the way it works. I mean, they own the majority of they, they control the majority of wealth. So obviously they're the beneficiaries of any sort of uptick in any kind of sales. You know what I mean? Like they're going to make it work for them. It's by design. And also the production. So if you need a right. particular product immediately, uh, yeah, it's going to be them. Exactly. Fucking Hillman. Everything that we could talk about between the, like May and October is all just the depressing bullshit that makes up the background of everybody's anxiety. You know, it's the reason that everybody needs to self-medicate in one way or another, right? <laughs> like that's, and so when you skip ahead, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can like look at the rest of the year. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, what there is to talk about really. I, I'm trying to think about like what else happened this year. I honestly can't remember like anymore. It's all just like soup. It's like yeah. minestrone. It's just a, it's just minestrone that's made of different types of dog shit. That sounds awful. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And you want me to eat that out of its ass? <laughs> oh god. Are you kids really doing this thing? <laughs> eating from the ass? Oh, God. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, but, like, uh, one thing that happened that's, like, so infuriating is that every time we would have a little bit of success with this thing because we started to do the right things, the success would lead to us doing exactly the wrong things. Like, when people would finally start to lock down properly... Yeah, and then uh, the number went down. The R number went down, and then people went, yeah, "Oh, it's yeah, going yeah. away. That's fine." Yeah, and even and, and even not in the place like here. I saw it happen here because it was happening here. This is kind of like the epicenter for it in America for a while, and so I saw it go down. And like we we kind of came out of the bubble a little slower than elsewhere, but like a lot of America saw New York's numbers or our numbers start to plateau, not even go down. They started to plateau. They stopped going up and immediately undid any restrictions that, it, that they had put in place. Like, it was, just, it was just a problem that was being met so poorly at every angle. It was, it's remarkable. And, the craziest thing and, is, remember when the stimulus, remember when they like set up the stimulus, right? Like that, that one of the things that I mean, when they did the big stimulus package, like the one of the things that's that's been a result of that. I mean, obviously, people got their checks for twelve hundred quid. It kept them alive. Uh, this is the states I'm talking about, not here. Yeah. yeah. But, um, it's funny because I was looking at the Financial Times the other day. I was reading an article and it was like on one page, like on like in my left hand, they were talking about, you know, people trying to survive during the pandemic talking about they were t there was an article about consumer spending and how uh it drops because people are like unemployed and then on the, literally the next page <laughs> of the financial times <laughs> there's an article that's like stimul the, the headline is stimulus helps private equity deal making hit fresh highs 
So they're talking about mergers and acquisitions, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's literally, they say, the value of private equity deals this year soared to its highest level since 2007, roaring back from a spring slowdown as the industry snapped up companies in record numbers, even as the pandemic triggered a global recession. And it's funny because you're like, oh, that's, that's where this money is going. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's where this money is going, is uh, these... I mean, they're they're giving money to they're targeting their spending with these uh, stimulus bills to yeah. ensure that capital is still able to function and accumulate. You know, it's that that, that the company and they do this profitable. when the point of it is is like explicitly meant to be to help us. Like this isn't even one of the bad ones. You know, like right, the right, tax right. bill is like when they pass the tax bill, like that was just an open faced gift to the wealthy uh there was no need for a pretense (laughs) of uh of helping us but like but the stimulus bill yeah yeah yeah. and and still so much of it went to these uh, (laughs) went to the wealthy. this is what i want to tell you Um, like the like another thing they say in this article that's that's uh interesting to me because i wasn't i wasn't i mean i'm not i'm not the smartest guy so like when I read the Financial Times, some of it is stuff that I like. I look at the headlines and I think I don't even know what this headline is talking about. So I'm not sure. But I kind of sometimes force myself to read these articles to see. And then it was like surprising to me to see, oh, they're talking about something that I do know about a little bit. Actually, I'm like familiar with the the, the content of this. The later down in this article, like a couple paragraphs down, it says the spread of COVID-19 had threatened in the spring to bring a decade long boom in mergers and acquisitions to a halt. Private equity executives shifted their focus to shoring up hard-hit companies in their portfolios. Large pre-pandemic deals, such as Carlyle's acquisition of a stake in American Express Global Business Travel, were called off. I mean, I don't know anything about that, right? But, but enormous government stimulus packages and sweeping central bank measures meant the pandemic did not derail deal-making. The U.S. Yeah. Federal Reserve's decisions to cut interest rates to zero— and buy investment-grade bonds and exchange-traded funds that own riskier junk debt gave companies a lifeline and ensured private equities continued access to cheap debt for new deals. Broader economic measures meant firms could access bailout loans and furlough funds for portfolio companies. I mean, a lot of this is like, it's like a foreign language to me, and I'm sure to other people as well, like but talking about business and stuff. But I mean, the, the, the long and short of it is that where companies are like consolidating. I mean, bigger companies eating up smaller ones is basically what that means. It's like, the, where do they get the money to do it? Because they're they're worried about it being these companies being hard hit by the pandemic and the the global recession. And that's the thing that's craziest about this. And I guess this is a good place to start wrapping up. Is just I know that we haven't covered the second half of the year, but like I can't do it. It's too depressing, and not much has happened besides the fact that even though, even though. Things have gone bad. There's tens of millions of people unemployed. Everything is looking grim. People are out of work. Sales are, sales are down. Things are like the economy is like in many ways absolutely been devastated. Even so, the biggest companies are still able to function and thrive. And yeah. uh, the, the people at the top of the food chain are having a feeding frenzy. I mean, I, I, it's, it, it doesn't make logical sense with the categories for understanding the world that we currently have, which is why, 
you know, which is why I've, I, I've become, uh, why my worldview has changed, not just my politics, but my worldview at large. I mean, I, I, I realized at some point very slowly, it didn't happen in one sitting. I didn't like have like a sudden realization. I don't know about you. I realized that no one is coming to save us. There is no leadership that's going to like lead us out of this. There's no Moses in this, you know, it's just us. Yeah, yeah, but we still need to build power or else it's not going to work. No, I agree with you. We need to build Mosai. Like, uh, and that's the thing is like, we have to do it somehow and we don't have time, you know? We are building power, though, you know? Uh, Even in this November, people who were on the ballot and were fiercely left-wing did win in America, uh, and people who were centrist did lose, you know, uh, and, you know, Biden was able to, to, to win, but, uh, you know, that's not what a lot of it looked like. And, you know, it didn't, didn't look so good for Corbin, but obviously you guys have a bit of other stuff going on there than just straight up, uh, don't even get me started on that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's something I haven't touched because it deserves like a different, it deserves its own episode. Really. I can't, I can't, I can't get into that. Right. Cause I mean, the Corbin thing was like set up. It, it it, like finally happened. Like all of the, all of the things that you knew were going to happen finally happened and it didn't really matter. Yeah. It's kind of like the Bernie thing, you know, it's like, it wasn't an unexpected thing. No, no, but there was, there was at least a moment. They've been trying the whole time. It just, they did something that worked. Yeah. You could could fool yourself into thinking though, like as I did that, like Bernie might win. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But, but like with, with Corbin, it was like, you always knew. You always knew like after 2017, at least like, you know, after like when we knew, when it was obvious that like his own party was trying to make him lose. It was evident, like, okay, this is... I mean, if his own party is working against him and trying to sabotage any chances that that he has of winning, and them winning, like, if they don't even want to win, if they would rather lose than win with him as leader, Mm -hmm. then, like, you know... And to be honest with you, after the way it went down with Corbin, I don't understand why I was so wide-eyed and stupid about Bernie. Like, how could I... And you know what? I have a couple of customers who come into the grocery... And they say to me, uh, they said to me back in like February, January, February, March, they were like, why do you think that Bernie's going to win? Do you think that like, do you actually think that they'll let him win? And I had to be like, well, you know, you got to, you got to hope. And now, I mean, we've done, epi- we've done entire episodes about this. Do you have the whole to- point is to, to not make it, to take it out of their hands, you know, uh, and we nearly did, you know, because it was still at least uh, related to a democratic process. <laughs> but uh, it was awfully close and it could have worked. Like, I still think it could have worked. Like, it was so close. Yes. Yeah, um, but yeah, they would have fought it tooth and nail. But there's a part of me that still believes in that myth of democracy. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, I know, uh, I know, I know. And like, and like, yes, I think they would have done more and more things that we weren't expecting to to fight against it and stuff like that. But I believe or at least want to believe in the possibility of, uh, of being able to resist that, uh, together. And the thing is, it's still, like I said, it's still working, you know, (laughs) uh, we're still growing. I don't think that necessarily a system's inability to function yet per se makes it completely 
incapable of functioning in the future, per se. Okay. And I, I'll just keep going back to saying, like, I don't, like, uh, like, I just in, always worried that the timeline we're on is not one that affords us an awful lot of amount of time for revolution and rebuilding. Well, this is, but but on, the, on the same token, on the same token, I would say that the, the difference between me at the beginning of this year and me in the last hours of this year is that I no longer accept the categories for discussion that I originally did. I don't think that there is any method within the way that things work now for fixing this. I think that we had this conversation a couple episodes ago. I think that whether we want it to or not, there's going to be some big rupture and it could be bad and it could be good. I mean, it could be neither. It could be like a mix of both or neither. But I mean, I think that the fact that whatever we're living in now and the category, the, the, the material conditions that present us with categories for understanding the world i mean it's crumbling it's crumbling and it's it's not long for this world i i don't think that it's necessarily the end of capitalism it could just be like a different stage of capitalism but something is ending the 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 kind of ways that we understand the world are are out of date and that we we don't have the the tools for understanding it we don't have like a a model for, for making sense of what's happening to us right now. And I think that yeah. one of the things that, that this, that this year has done for me is that it's made me realize that I need to have a new way of understanding the world. I need to ha- I need to engage with the world differently. And I think that obviously any tool in the toolbox that's useful, that gets us, that's like a means to the end that we're looking for, and electoral politics is that in some instances, but by and large, we're going to have to rethink the way that we approach power entirely and building power. You know what I mean? Like, obviously some things are the same though. Like yeah, you are always saying, we're both always like saying. The thing is like, we have an eviction crisis that's happening literally tomorrow. It's like, I know, I know. likely going to be delayed by one month, but like one, month, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's Once you can you can divorce yourself from the electoral process as much as you want. Like we have a government and we have an eviction crisis. No, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm you divorcing know? Like, myself uh, from it. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm not talking uh, about divorcing myself from it. I'm so just like, saying that like, so like, there's so much that needs to be done that like a lot of like the the notions of like of like doing away with our allies in in government and in leadership. You know. Uh, when it's never been more important to, to work with them and to, to desperately push for the unlikely hope that, the, that something beneficial happens. See, here's, the, here's, the, here's where <laughs> I like disagree Something with you. is going to happen. And like, you know, we need, we need people on all fronts. We need people working to make sure that the thing that happens is at the very least a, a, as non-destructive as possible, if not as... Uh, beneficial is right yeah the only the only place Uh, where i disagree with you is just that like i agree that like you can't just you can't just decide like oh i'm not interested in electoral politics anymore like uh, i'm just going to choose one thing over the other it's always got to be both you got to fight on all fronts you know i mean it's a fight you didn't start the fight the fight came to you 
as a person who has to work for a living, as a person who doesn't have power, the fight comes to you. Like, you have to fight wherever it happens. Like, wherever the fight takes place, you got to fight, you know? But what I'm saying is that there's there's just, like, a certain... I don't know, man. Like, I just think that there's a there's a way of looking at the world that's done now. It's done. And that's a hope that... And, like, and part of electoralism... The, the part of electoralism that I think is a problem... And the the only place that I disagree with you is that realistically, how much energy and effort can you put into like electoral politics and conventional politics? Because that, like, let's say, for example, that AOC is an unmitigated good and there's like a, whatever the squad is an unmitigated good. And there's like whatever, four of them, five of them. And there's like 650 people in Congress, you know, like I, like they'll never. How long is it going to take to get the critical mass of people like that into government to make it make a difference, to make it actually make a difference. And that is what I think is the problem. that's not the only way to go about it, though. That's not the only benefit you get from having someone like that on a national stage. The most popular politician in this country is a socialist. Like, it doesn't matter if there's only one of them out there, if they're not going to pass any bills. Like, they help us build power. Every injustice, this is my socialism, Every injustice is a power imbalance and building power is always the way that you correct and fight injustice. Right. And electoral power is one of the ways to build power, you know, uh, and it's like uh, and, you know, it's it's one of the more direct ways to influence our government, uh, which is the thing that dictates how things function practically for people. And like, uh I I definitely believe that people put too much emphasis on it and we make far too much about the uh the electoral process when it's going on and people lose sight of so many other things. However, if you think that you can immediately engage people's uh relationship with institutions and, you know, you can't divorce yourself from the electoral process because the institutions are led by elected officials. So, like, you, you have to, you have to, like, you know, at least understand fully what's going on and stuff, even if you're not somehow trying to influence it yourself. Like, you have to understand that that's the playing field, that a lot of the decisions that are affecting people's lives are going to be happening. I got to say, it all makes me think, like, the one thing, the the big lesson I've learned from 2020 is that I don't know shit. Because yeah. like anything that I thought I knew is just like I don't know shit. Absolutely, that's uh, that's been the lesson that I've learned increasingly over the last ten years yeah. or so. And like you've grown up as an American, especially as like a male, like a man, and like of a certain age, like you're not. You've always like learned the world has taught you that you have some sort of agency. And like, really, at the end of the day, you don't <laughs> like, you know, I mean, you, you could do you could do you have the potential for agency. But like, as it stands, the only agency you've got is if you can uh, if you can contribute it to a bigger thing. And if you can't, if there's no bigger thing to contribute it to, then your individual agency counts for diddly squat. Like the worldview I've come to <laughs> is that there will never be answers and, and that it's just a constant 
attempt to better the situation, uh, and we're probably going to be wrong a lot of times. And we've only got so much time left. So, you yeah. know, back to the old uh, philosophy one. <laughs> Don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rare and unlikely that we're all here in this crisis together. Just, you know, be chill, be clutch, be crush. <laughs> Make the world clutch again. <laughs> 2020, the least clutch year. <laughs> 2021, year of the clutch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I just, can we just close by saying 2020, I'm glad this is over. <laughs> yes. I'm glad this is all behind us and we can go back to motherfucking normalcy. Ladies, ladies get normalcy free. 2021, normalcy. Bring in your BLM poster or your pink pussy hat and you get into 2021 free. (laughs) 